Backyard Farmer is a co-production of Nebraska Public Media and Nebraska Extension. Coming up on Backyard Farmer, we'll help you get your underground sprinkler ready and see what's new at the Garden Center. That's all coming up next, right here on Backyard Farmer. Farmer. I'm Kim Todd and we've got another great show planned for you as we answer all those gardening questions. If you've been waiting all winter long to ask a question, give us a call at 1-800-676-5446. Our phone volunteers will be happy to help you. As you know, we love to get those pictures from you, so if you've got something you'd like to share, our email address is byf at unl.edu. We do need to know where you live and give us as much information as you can about your particular issue. Also, we would like to invite you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can enjoy all of our past videos and features. So, Kyle, first show of the season and a lovely beastie, what do we have? Yeah, so it's that time of year um, where temperatures are warming up and uh, critters are, are finding their way into our house. So. I have an example of, of one of those tonight, brown marmorated stink bugs. And so these are, are relatively um, new, new uh, insects here in, in Nebraska. They've only been in the state for about seven or eight years. They are an invasive. Um, that can be a, a significant crop pest in some areas of the country, but here in the Midwest, mostly just a nuisance pest that uh, likes to come into our homes for the winter. And then as temperatures warm up, they uh, they, they find their way into our homes. So <clears throat> really with, with these, you know, controlling these, we're, we're seeing a lot of them right now in homes. Hopefully um, it's going to start dying down. But to, to mitigate this, really the best thing to do is, is try to exclude them from entering the home in the first place. They get into those wall voids, attics, um, unheated garages uh, to spend the winter. And so really think about um, this summer before the, the fall, uh, sealing up any sort of um, gaps around windows, doors, um, any um, utilities going into the house, sealing around those caulking, just making sure that all of that's um, nice and tight to, to exclude as much as possible. Otherwise, right now, really the only thing we can do is try to vacuum sweep those up. Um, if you do have um, brown marmorated stink bugs in your house, um, they can produce a foul smell, so you may consider using um, a secondary vacuum if you have it, um, so that it doesn't make that, that vacuum smell bad, but um, just uh, clean those up and dispose of them outside and it should go away pretty soon. Sounds like an advertisement for a lot of great stuff at my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Rock, what do we have for Weed Central? So we've got two and, and in the spring of the year we tend to see an, a plethora of weeds coming from various locations. Uh, the first one I'm <clears throat> showing is prostrate knotweed. This is the first summer annual to germinate um, in the spring and you often see it growing as, as the snow recedes, you can see prostrate knotweed growing in. This weed is very typical in heavily trafficked areas along sidewalks, um, you know, in paths in a park and that sort of thing. And it can ultimately take over that area because it is so well adapted to um, those compacted soils. That said, a pre-emergent applied in the fall rather than when you would normally apply it for crabgrass will do a pretty good job on this. And then a, a light dose of something like 2,4-D will work. But 
if you don't want to use the herbicide, how about we just take care of the compaction? And, and if we can take care of that and get some good turf growing or mulch the bed, if it's a mulching bed, because we see it both in landscape beds as well as uh, the turf, then you can go a long way and you'll probably see far less of this, um, of this weed. So prostrate knotweed. So that's a summer annual. Here's one that uh, most of our viewers know about. It's um, henbit. Henbit is a sump, is a winter annual. So it germinated last spring, last winter or early um, late fall, um, germinated, and then it goes into a resting phase over the winter time, um, and then it pops immediately in the spring. This is an annual um, called henbit, and at the very tips, what you'll find is that's where the 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 uh, flowers are going to rise. They're going to be really pretty purple. You can go by fields all over Nebraska and eastern Nebraska, and they'll they'll almost be purple there. So they're so pretty. But what we want to make sure you do is you don't. It's a mint, so it's got a square stem, but you don't want to mistake this for creeping Charlie, which is a perennial and requires a much more aggressive way to get it control. And creeping Charlie, the flowers instead of arising at the tips, they arrive in the crotch right where the leaf um, stem and the and the main stem. Uh, Come in, so that's where that comes out of. So that's the difference between the two. Um, one of them, and one of them is a perennial, and one of them is obviously an annual. But this also could have been controlled with a fall application of a pre-emergent. So you could get both this weed and this weed, which are very different uh, biologically. One's a summer annual, and one's a winter annual, simply by accurate timing of those pre-emergent herbicides. Now, this time of year, you want to clip this one back before, or hoe it, or spray it if you need that need to go that route before they put seed heads on them because they're a prolific seed producer. A single plant can produce from two to 3,000 seeds. And if you look in a lot of the fields right now, there are literally thousands and thousands of henbit plants. So those are our two weeds of the day. All right, thank you, Rock. Lauren. Awesome. Uh, well, a lot of people are out cleaning up their flower beds, doing some pruning. Um, a great time to get rid of that disease inoculum. So I brought along tonight a couple if you have red twig dogwood, yellow twig dogwoods, uh, other shrubs can get this as well. Um, but you can kind of see these dead ends that we see. We also have some lesions on there. And the challenge with this is that if we don't prune that away when these materials get older, I'm gonna just show you all the spores that are there. So on these two sides of the branch, I think you'll be able to see if they zoom in in here, on here or in here. Um, I don't know if we can get any closer or not, but you would just see little black specks like pepper all over those. And those are little pycnidia from the fungus that are on the, the, the wood that is producing millions of spores. So all those little dark spots that we see along in here and here. So we just want to remove that and that'll remove that inoculum source. So while you're doing that cleanup, uh, if you're still at it, uh, maybe you're behind like I am and you're definitely still at it, uh, great time to prune out that disease inoculum. Thank you, Lauren. All right, Jeff, you uh, you get the beauty of the day. Well, I've got a couple different things here. If we can get this turned around. So I have two things. I have the taller plant is a purple apricot. So it's kind of fun. The leaves are purple, the flowers are a light purple, and then the fruit is purple as well. Mm. So, And it's one of these plants that, uh, like many prunus, kind of keeps giving and giving. So the plant planted several years ago, it got boars, I didn't treat the boars, decided to get rid of it. And you know, the next spring, there's five more of them growing up in the yard where the seeds, because it was a prolific fruit. So this is one of the progeny of that tree. Uh, so which is fine, so. Mm -hmm. And then the smaller flower I have here, the green plant is Petasites or Butterbur. 
and Butterbur is a kind of a ground cover. It likes, um, I would give it, you know, half day sun at the most, keep it out of the late day sun, certainly. Um, can like a wetter area, uh, but it produces very large leaves, 20 inches across at least. This particular one is variegated yellow and green. And so it really, it goes well with uh, ferns and other kind of things that will deal with uh, maybe a drier shade too, so. Anyway. Excellent, thanks guys. <clears throat> All right, your first uh, round of questions, Kyle. The first one comes to us from Douglas County. Uh, what is it and did it come in with the firewood? And I think sent one picture. Yep, it's a banded ash borer and most likely it, it did come in with the, the firewood. They are. They are pretty notorious for that, for emerging from firewood, so. All right, one of those boar things. Your second one is, uh, she found this in the backyard farmer garden. What is it, why is it here so early, and what should we do about it to avoid damage to our plants? Yeah, this is a Colorado potato beetle, and they can be pretty nasty pests. Um, so they overwinter as adults, they dig down into the soil several inches, so they are one of the you know early early season pests we can see showing up. Um, things you can do to, to avoid um, injury in the garden. So they, they feed on potatoes, as the name implies, as well as other solanaceous plants, so, uh, uh, tomatoes, peppers, uh, but really prefer uh, potatoes. So one thing we can do is make sure, you know, before those solanaceous crops are in, your potatoes and tomatoes, uh, there's no weeds in the, the garden, any sort of uh, weedy host that, that would uh, provide sort of a green bridge for them, like nightshade. Um, so, you know, before those are in there, make sure that uh, all those weeds are cleared out. They are also attracted to the color yellow. So really early in the spring, we can put yellow sticky traps up and that will help attract some of those adults and trap, trap them. Um, otherwise, for um, treating them in the garden, you know, you can watch them throughout the, uh, the growing season and see, um, you know, monitor any damage. But um, unfortunately, they are resistant to pretty much every single class of uh, synthetic insecticides. So there's very limited options for treating them once they're a problem. Um, you can use spinosad, it's, it should be relatively effective. Um, that's what I would probably go with if I was treating. All right, excellent, I'll just hang my shirt out there and we'll yeah. go from there. <laughs> just okay. walk around and weed <laughs> and will. just collect them. So. <laughs> oh great, all right, Rock. This comes to us from Western Nebraska, front yard, west side of the house, sun all day. Uh, this is how it always looks. What is the best turf for it? And this is uh, up north, western Nebraska. So uh, it'd be nice to know what they had there. I'm assuming bluegrass, that's what seems to be um, pre prevalent in, in the western township and in that area. So I'm going to probably suggest um, a turf type tall fescue, which is much more heat tolerant. But you know, bluegrass grows great in the full sun. So I'm questioning whether they maybe need to look at what else is going on. Are they watering that? Are they fertilizing it? Are they managing it? And if they're not managing it, then maybe that's all it's going to take because bluegrass is really resilient when it comes to recovery from a droughty time. And so if last summer they didn't irrigate it all as dry as we were, um, you know, I'd get some water on it and see what recovers. But if they really want to, if they really think that's a western exposure that's full sun all the time, then the turf type tall fescue probably is a better bet for that. And just leave the base there and drill drill the seed in uh, right away. And they said something about spraying. I'm just not sure what you would be spraying for. Perfect, all right, and then we have a uh, zoysia grass problem. She expected it to turn brown last fall, but large patches 
appear to have turned gray, lightly fertilized last year. Was that the problem, or what do we have going on here? So uh, great for them to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, zoysia grass goes dormant. It's not dying. It just goes dormant. Um, but in this case, the zoysia looks to me like it has a um, large patch, which is a pathogen that affects zoysia primarily south of here, Kansas, Oklahoma, um, Texas, et cetera. So we don't really see it frequently here, but when we do see it, we suggest that you let it grow out of it. It'll probably fill in even with the slow growth of uh, zoysia grass. Um, and there's nothing they can do other than they wanted to plug into that patch, but I'm gonna say it's gonna recover and by late May. They're gonna be pretty um, confident that that's not gonna show up. And I don't know if uh, uh, Lauren wants to comment. Well, we don't spray for large patch and zoysia grass in this part of the world. Okay, he's nodding I'm his head, on. yes. All right, speaking of that, let's see. This is Wayne, Nebraska, Lauren. A brown branch on a spruce tree <clears throat> on the southeast side, tree in the grove with other spruce. Yeah, so if we look at this picture closely, you could see that that single branch being affected. When you look at the branch, the, the whole branch is, is being impacted. So I think this is some sort of um, canker or, or some injury to that branch. If they'd follow it back, uh, there's probably going to be some pitch or, or resin at some point. I would just, just follow that branch and go all the way back you know, to the crotch in the tree where it meets and, and see if you see any injury on that branch. Okay, and then you and just prune it out. Yeah, yeah, and another spruce. Uh, the top branch of a 15-year-old blue spruce is dying. What is it? Should that branch be cut out? And this is Plattsmouth. Yeah, and, and and this one, I think it looks like it may be the leader on the tree. So they're going to have to re, you know, work on that and, and get a new leader to take over. But but this would be another situation where most likely you've got some injury, and I would follow that back. Um, this is the time of year where you tend to see these things. These things are, are, are starting to freshen up and, and maybe you're just getting out and, and, and looking in the landscape more. Um, anytime we see a branch that the whole branch is impacted, usually and the rest of the tree is fine, there's something going on there that's an injury or a canker that can, uh, could impact that. All right, thank you, Lauren. Um, and then just comment if that's the last one on there uh, overall for the management of canker type fungi. Many of them are favored by drought, so maintaining mm -hmm. adequate moisture is a really important part. Great, thanks, Lauren. All right, uh, Jeff, this is, <laughs> this is dwarf Alberta spruce. Sprayed them several times last year because they had bugs. They look awful now. Will they recover? I think we have two pictures on yeah. this one. They probably had spider mites, I'm guessing. <laughs> so uh, I would say no, they're not gonna recover. So I would go ahead and replace those. There's some great dwarf conifers that are better than dwarf Alberta you could look at. Ex exactly, all right. So this is a weird one. Um, <laughs> She found this pile on the sidewalk in rural Stromsburg. She can't figure out what it is from. Seeds of something? Yeah, to me, it looked like squash seeds, pumpkin seeds, something like that, that a squirrel or something had gotten in, shredded, and eaten the seeds. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm guessing, something. Some, Ate it. Yeah, yeah. a mouse, right. something. A mouse or something. I had right. some look just like that where a pumpkin rotted. Right. Right. Picked exactly, it up. Yeah. me too, yeah. Well, you know, things are starting to warm up this spring, and even though, warm up a lot, actually, and even though we've had some decent moisture in some parts of the state, you might need to tinker around and get your underground sprinkler system ready for the season. So first up tonight, Rock is going to tell us what we need to know to get those irrigation systems running. Tis the season. No, no, it's not the holiday season over the winter. It's that time of year 
when the trees start to bud out, the lawn starts to show a little bit of green. And if you have the luxury of an in-ground irrigation system, now's the time to check to make sure it's working and also recharge it for that use when we get into the stressful summer months. There's a series of logical steps that have, need to occur. First and foremost, you have to turn it on at the vacuum breaker. The vacuum breaker is in place to keep the water from your irrigation system from backing into the house, so it's a very good safety and it's required on most municipalities. It's real easy to do. You simply turn two screws, make sure the, the, that you've had it shut off the year, the, from the winter before, but you turn off these two screws and then the water will then not flow out of them. If you forget to do this, water's gonna go blasting out when you drop down into your water source and turn the water on. So that's step one. Step two, you have to go to your water source and physically turn it on. Um, this is really important and it's also important that when you turn the water on, you don't just flip it on and, and hope for the best because water can build up pressure and it can create what's called a water hammer. So you wanna slowly ease it down. If you've got a drain on your irrigation system, which most people do, make sure that's off before you turn the water on. Now that the water's on, we can go to the controller. You can check the controller to make sure it's still working and if it's got battery backup, it should have worked over the winter. Or if you unplugged it, you should still have everything that you programmed from years prior. But if not, you might have to redo that. You take it into the system and this particular system we're working on today has the capacity to run all of your stations in really short bursts, like two to three minutes. After you've turned the water on, you take it to that stage and you can turn it on and then it's gonna go through every cycle. This particular controller has 11 stations that are active, that are actually supplying water to the source. And what we mean by that is that there's a sprinkler attached or multiple sprinklers attached to that. So you turn it on and then you can walk around the location and watch the sprinklers come up and down. Probably need to have a notepad with you or maybe your phone, whatever you like to use to record maybe where there's a head not shooting the right way or something like that. So you can go back and fix that a little bit later. If you're lucky and have no repairs, then your system's up, charged, and ready to go. So to bring it all together, it's certainly good to check your system early on to make any of the necessary repairs if any are needed. But it's certainly not time to water yet. We've had a good winter and water in the, is in the soil and ready to go. The grass isn't actively growing, so let's not waste any water in the system now. Let's wait until the lawn needs it and who knows when that'll be. It depends on whatever our weather conditions are. So you don't want to water right away, but you, you want to run your system to see if it's, you can fix it. Or if you can't fix it, hire a professional to come in and do that. And if you're not comfortable recharging your system, then clearly that's something you can contract out with some of the irrigation suppliers and installers just to make your life a little easier. You know, these systems can make it easy to water your landscape consistently, but like Rock said, keep an eye on what the weather is doing. Do consider turning that system on only when you actually really need it. I think a lot of things get overwatered. All right, Kyle, we have uh, here a very beautiful picture on this first one. And early bloomers, which is, this is pasque flower, but he's, they're being used by small bees. There's actually, I think, two in this. Yeah. And he's talking surfid flies too. What do you think these are exactly? Yeah, don't, I don't see a surfid fly in this picture. Um, but yeah, these look like small carpenter bees probably. They, they overwinter, um, the females overwinter as adults um, in, in stems. And so they are one of the first bees that we see out, out and active. Yeah, and he, sent, he took that picture with his phone. Isn't wow. that cool? Mm, very nice, yeah. yeah. 
All right, so you have two pictures on this one, not so pretty. <laughs> this is Carney, and uh, one of the dozen of approximately 20-year-old Scotch pines has these areas of excessive sap. I think we have, yep, two picks. No visible holes, they might be covered by the sap. Pruned branches were done two years ago. <clears throat> what is this, a bore or what? Yeah, it, it looks like uh, Zimmerman pine moth, and they, they do prefer um, Scotch pine, so, um, and it's really characteristic that we, we might see like in a stand, you know, one or maybe a couple of trees affected and, you know, the rest untouched. So it, it definitely looks like that to me. It's a little unusual, the location. Usually we see them um, like in the crotch, but I think that's, that's still probably what's going on here. For, um, for control, you know, they, so they overwinter as really small um, larvae and they become active um, really about this time of year. So kind of mid to, to late April into May is when we see them start to become active. And when they do that, they, they come out from sort of a protected overwintering uh, puparium. They wander uh, on the bark looking for a new feeding site and then they'll, they'll bore in and start feeding there. So once they're inside, they're, there's really nothing you can do in terms of chemical treatment. So there's a, a narrow window um, in around late April where we can treat um, with a, a pyrethroid insecticide like a bifenthrin or permethrin. Um, both of those would be um, options. And it requires um, a, a truck, excuse me, a trunk drench. Um, so you have to really like thoroughly cover all areas of that trunk. You don't have to worry about the branches or anything else, but make sure that that trunk is thoroughly covered and that will provide protection as they're, they're out looking for a new spot. Otherwise, you can kind of monitor if it's fairly, you know, fairly small number, you can monitor for any new feeding sites throughout the year and uh, peel back that sap and, and see if you can just uh, basically destroy any, any larvae you find in there. All right, thank you, Kyle. Rock, uh, let's see, This uh, your first picture here is one that is a strange lawn of some sort. What do we think this is exactly? Um, and this is a Lincoln viewer. I think this is what they're looking at and saying on this. What do you think is going on on this Well, there, there looks to be a fairly significant dead population of prostrate knotweed in, in and among there. Um, and so that would kind of have the skeletonized look at the surface as well as in the root system. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to guess that that was probably a heavily compacted area, as we mentioned early on. Um, and, uh, you know, a little, little bit closer picture of what they exactly we want, they want us to identify or whatever would be helpful. I do see clumps of fescue and maybe a little bit of bluegrass in there is what it looks like <clears> to me. But um, a, a little bit of a better image, a little closer would be very helpful in that regard. All right. And then you have, I think, two pictures on this next one. And... <laughs> They are, uh, they're, not, they're not great, as you can well see, and this is a turf ID in Nemaha. It looks like this, and then it looks like this. What do we think this is? I think this is zoysia grass. I mean, it's dormant now. Um, um, clearly, it's got a, a heavy, dense stand. Um, I'm not sure exactly whether they just wanted an identification, but um, you know, zoysia grass has very few problems other than it gets really thatchy. They may want to consider core airifying or dethatching because it does look like it has a pretty good thatch layer, and um, they would do that once it's actively growing um, here in the next month or so because it's not going to really fully green up until about mid, even with these high temperatures, until about mid-May because we're going to get cool again. So I, I'm pretty confident that's zoysia grass. Okay, and they could send us pictures when it greens up, and we might be able to. And then we'll tell definitely for sure. be able to do more. All right, uh, Lauren, um, 
spruce time. This is Elgin. <laughs> this is approximately the four to five foot top of a blue spruce, very large in the backyard. They did have one decided three or four years ago that did exactly the same thing. They had it removed immediately. They're wondering if, is this gonna spread to their other trees? Uh, it Most likely, and, and this is a similar scenario to <clears throat> what we had in the previous pictures, um, there, there's some sort of activity going on that's probably a canker if they're not seeing any physical damage or, you know, for example, sometimes in the western portion of the state we see porcupine feeding that looks like this. Um, it, but, but if this is a planting where you don't see any injury, those fungi that are causing the canker are probably existing on the bark of the other trees already. And it's just something that triggers a stress to where that plant uh, results in infection and then the branch is, is, is killed. So um, pruning it off, uh, best thing to do in that case where it's at the top, make sure you've got a new leader that you can form. Uh, but reality, there's nothing that you can really do to treat these. Uh, this is something that you really just try to maintain adequate moisture, try to keep the trees from being stressed and drought stress again favors a lot of these cankers. So uh, just a few things there. All right, thank you, Lauren. And then you have uh, two pictures on this one. And this is an Omaha viewer with uh, obviously old ewes, front of the house facing north. The last two or three seasons, they've had this brown spot in this and they end up cutting it out and then another piece dies. And very similar, just a shorter version of what we just talked about, most likely, uh, following that down again. Sometimes in our shrubs, we'll see some sort of rodent injury or something though that will girdle individual twigs. So carefully look for that. Um, but most likely, I think this is a scenario where you, you probably have, again, some sort of a fungal infection that is causing that. Pruning that out about three to four inches below the affected area, just like on trees, um, is the best course of action. And trying to stay after it so it doesn't continue, because it will produce inoculum, just like we showed with the branches earlier in the show. All right. Thank you, Lauren. Jeff, you have three pictures of this one. Uh, he is sending it for his mother, okay. Douglas, Nebraska. A 25-year-old white pine starting to turn brown. Three others near it. She's concerned that this one is dying and could cause the others to die. So. Well, I, it looks like it's, you know, especially after our warmer weather here, the tree's probably mostly dead as it is. So, Lauren, I guess as far as the same sort of thing, would white pine be sharing some sort of spores amongst each other? Uh, they could, uh, and if you're seeing dead branches or a dead tree, but with white pine, we see them fail sometimes too, right, Jeff, just right. totally. So yeah. uh, I think some of those are sometimes more root rot, siding, things like that. Sure. So, or drought. Yeah, yeah or drought. Or drought right. sensitive. Yeah, all right. You have one more uh, picture, Jeff, and this okay. is a Southwest Nebraska viewer. She has peonies, and I'm, they're probably up further than that in one day, but she's wondering, is it okay to separate now, or should she wait till fall? Well, she should wait. If the peonies are something she wants to keep, she should wait till late August, early September to do that. If she needs to just move them, um, and you know, you'd have to give them extra care, but you could move the thing. I would not separate the peonies, I wouldn't divide them, but you could move the whole plant. All and right. they give it like new plant care after that. <laughs> okay, loving care. Loving care. <laughs> All right, thanks. Well, you know, we haven't planted anything in our garden yet, but Terry James says there is plenty to do to get ready for the season. Let's take a minute to see what's happening out at the Backyard Farmer Garden. This week in the Backyard Farmer Garden, we're slowly moving out of the greenhouse. Our pansies are out and they are looking beautiful with that pop of color in our containers. 
They're really helping bring out the color of all the plants that are starting to pop in our garden. We are also seeing some of the results of our work from last fall. If you remember, over the winter, we showed you Sarah planting our garlic in the fall, and that is up and going, and we have some shallots growing next to it. So we're gonna see how garlic and shallots grow in our production garden. We're about ready to fill the rest of our raised beds. We replaced all of our raised beds this fall, and so we're gonna put a 60-40 compost mix in there so we can get those planted later this spring. So stop by the Backyard Farmer Garden and check it out. If we get some rain, we may be planting sooner than later. We'll see. Right now, of course, it is time for lightning. All right, you ready, Jeff? Uh, sure. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a choice, do such I? Such confidence. <laughs> All right, this came from a viewer. Uh, how do you harvest asparagus? Do you cut it? Do you, what do you do? Uh, I would cut it, yeah. So you can use a knife, a sharp knife. All right. Uh, second question from the same viewer. How much can you harvest at a single time or size? You know, it depends on the age of the asparagus. So the first year or two, you, you're going to want to leave quite a bit of it there and it'll allow it to continue to produce sugar for the root system. So and as it gets older, you can harvest more. All right. Uh, how long should water, should this person water trees and shrubs in southeast Nebraska right now? How long? You know, you're going to have to monitor it. It just depends on your soils and where you're at. So you'll have to do that whole screwdriver test, see what you have beforehand, and keep an eye on it. All so. right. This is a Wakefield viewer who planted clematis last fall. Wabbits ate them to the ground. Will they come back? Uh, they might. So I don't think I'd worry about it. We cut clematis back right now anyway, so I think you're fine. All right. Um, red twig dogwoods, are there any good ones, or are they all susceptible to cankers and things? I'm sure there's some great ones. Uh, we have problems with them on campus with canker and things, so. Yeah. Hard to and, know. And obviously, Lauren does, so. Right. <laughs> I have an old one, though. Okay. <laughs> All right, Lauren, are you ready? Kim, I'm ready. Is the breaded morel fried duck fat tonight? Ooh, oh, my. Have you found any? Don't answer that question. Can't say. <laughs> All right, your first question is, um, this viewer had green beans that got rust last year can't rotate the location in the garden, is there a likelihood that will happen again? Um, just make sure you clean the residue up. Uh, some of our rust can, re can survive in, in telial stage and they'll be there. So residue and should be okay. All right, this uh, viewer has Austrian pines that have what they're describing as the needle disease. Is that something to treat now and if so, how? Uh, depends on which needle disease. Um, let's identify it and then we'll say how. All right, would canker on apple tree trunks look like these reddish sort of areas, like red instead of bark colored? Um, there's a, there are several different cankers that can occur on apple trees uh, and, and it could be, a, it could look like a discoloration like that. All right, this is a carny viewer who wants to know, is there such a thing as a hands-on mushroom course and how do I ID them and then eat them? Well, I would never recommend eating unless you go with someone that is very experienced. Uh, and the saying, I, I don't know of a hands-on mushroom course there. There are here, there are several uh, that I've seen at Iowa State. Um, there is also a local uh, uh, mycology group for the state of Nebraska. So if they look that up, there is a group of enthusiasts that meet and, and uh, they could connect with them. 
Right. Nice run of non-answers, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I was working really hard at it, Rock. <laughs> okay, Rock, you ready? Sure. We'll see how you do. <laughs> no this, pressure. This is a Blair viewer who asks if you favor overseeding an existing lawn with clover. Uh, certainly you can add the clover as a pollinator and then mow less, um, and you'll put less nitrogen on it. Some people like a cleaner lawn, but it's up to you. All right, uh, oh, several viewers wondering what your appearance is or your uh, opinion is of micro or mini clovers as a lawn. So the micro clovers are smaller in stature, but they, they can be incorporated extremely well. There's a lot of data on that um, out in the, uh, in the interverse or whatever you want to call it. And so, yeah, it's certainly an, it's an option and they do produce flowers at a very short mowing height if you want to still maintain the lawn to look like a lawn. All right, this viewer has a RTF lawn that's in a very shady area. The lawn company recommended a quick acting sulfur twice a year, but the pH is 7.1. Yeah, I'm not sure why you would need to alter a pH at 7.1. I'm not sure the sulfur is needed. All right, this is an Osmond viewer who has heavy thatch, wants to know should they power rake, and if so, when? Um, if they haven't been choreifying routinely, then certainly power raking is the way to go. You're going to produce a lot of material, and it's got to be disposed of. Um, and depending upon where you live, it may not be able to go to the landfill. All right, nice job. Okay, Kyle, you're last up. This is a viewer who had a uh, green spire linden that was ravaged by Japanese beetles. Wants to know, is there a spray or a dust of some sort that will prevent that from happening this year? And what is the active ingredient? Um, dust, no. Um, there's, there's not really much that you can do on, on those. So I would just, you know, I would just try to tolerate. All right, uh, we have a question whether milky spore will control or reduce the Japanese beetle population. No, not really. Um, it, it can control grubs, but it, controlling grubs doesn't really affect the adults that you're going to have in your landscape, so it's not really worth it um, unless you are specifically having grub problems in your turf. All right. Um, this is a viewer who said there are ants swarming out of the pavement cracks in Ithaca, and then they're dead. What's going on? Um, I don't know. <laughs> there is a, a question here about, <clears throat> excuse me, trunk drench for borers in viburnums and lilacs. Is there one? Um, I, I don't know. I potentially, but I'm, I'm not familiar with what would be, what borers would necessarily be a problem in that. So, okay, all right. So, Jeff, you win the prize. And it's two weeks in a row for a report, right? And I did not stack the deck, I promise. Oh, you always yeah, stack the deck. So. That's you guys are just too long-winded. We're going to share it. Yeah. You're yeah. too long-winded. Losers. All right, what are the plants of the week, Jeff? Combined, we got eight. And we don't get yeah. the stupid lightning bolt? No. Okay, fine. <laughs> Jeff. So the plants you brought in, two kind of interesting plants and really they make kind of a nice bouquet here with the uh, pinkish orange and the gray from the from the willow. So we have a prairie willow here which is rather low growing and as you were talking earlier is drought tolerant. Mm -hmm. So obviously with the name prairie it might be an indication that it will do well in drier areas. It's native to the upper midwest, the Rocky Mountain area. So and it can be really low growing, two feet tall to maybe 10 feet tall, depending on the situation. 
Uh, so that might be an interesting plant to look for. Is that commonly found in the, you're not going to find that at the garden centers too often, are you? No, but you'll find it with local suppliers. Okay. Yep. And then the other plant we have here is flowering quince. And again, so this is a very hardy plant, does well here. It does have, so it can get very large, but you can maintain it through pruning to a, a nice kind of a hedge, a low hedge. We've done that on campus in a few places. Um, and the flowering, again, is nice this time of year. It can be thorny, so again, if you have uh, neighbors like I have that you know, walk through your yard, you can plant it someplace to keep them out of the yard. Um, <laughs> so it does well, it can get very large, so that's one thing you wanna keep an eye on is with the flowering. And then it does produce an edible fruit. Mm -hmm. I've tried it. And I'll add a little bit. I wouldn't need a lot. <laughs> I'll eat everything once and then I'll go, not again on yeah, that no. one. But. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jeff. All right, Kyle, uh, questions. This comes to us from Yakima, Washington. Uh, found this strange thing in, the, in his son's garage on a, on a wall, and you can just barely see that black stuff. I think, yep, there you can see another granular picture. He wonders if this is termite damage. Yeah. It doesn't look like termites um, because it's it's kind of loose, like loose debris. Um, so we wouldn't expect to see that from termites. They they might produce like mud tubes or something, but not not something loose. I'm not sure what's going on here. I need more information. Like it does kind of look, you know, insect related, like kick out from you know some sort of a nest or cavity or something. But there's no like clear hole where it's coming from. So I I'm really not sure what's going on. All right, your second two are a burning bush problem here in Lincoln. Uh, peeling bark holes, rotten branches, and I think we have some bore holes in it, and I knew you were gonna kick it quickly to Jeff. Yeah, definitely um, definitely some bores in here, but I think, you know, looking at the, the state of that, it looks like it's been not in good condition for a while, um, and I think those bores are probably secondary, so they're just kind of a symptom of declining health. So I don't know if, if Jeff, if you had any thoughts on whether or not that could be saved or what else they could do, but I... Yeah, certainly you're gonna to wanna to prune out all the dead. Yeah. Um, and then look look how much mulch you have around it. They have a very fibrous root system, so, and it's shallow. So you're gonna to wanna to make sure that if you need to pull the mulch back a little bit, make sure it gets some, some watering. And you might be able to salvage it. Right. You want them to tough. So. They are, all right, thanks. Uh, Rock, this is a Northwest Omaha viewer. She says she has something invasive growing in her lawn. We have two pictures of this uh, little weed. Yeah, this is um, chickweed. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a perennial type called mouse ear chickweed that has hair on it. This doesn't have any hair on it. And chickweed is a winter annual, much like henbit. Can be controlled in the fall with a nice, dense, actively growing turf, or um, <clears throat> if you want to use herbicides in late, you know, right after it germinates, it's generally gonna be October or early November, or even now it can still be sprayed and um, be relatively easy to control. But if you, if you let it go, it will, uh, it'll pretty much smother and take over even small ornamentals and, and, and ornamental beds. If it's in that or if it's in the, the lawn, certainly I would get, I'd get on a control measure and then consider a uh, fall application of a pre-emergent like containing pendimethalin or dimension or something like that to uh, keep it from germinating. All right, your next one is uh, one that we've already talked about, came up quickly last week in bare spots and in the backyard farmer garden. I think you've already talked about what to do with it. Yeah, it's henbit and we've, we've already talked about it. All right, <laughs> perfect, so follow your directions, right? Maybe. Or not, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lauren, uh, this is a Hastings viewer and we like it when 
people send us pictures from the fall and ask us to help them so it doesn't happen again. This is exactly here. Uh, aspen trees, it's a shady yard. Mature hackberry, blue spruce, and linden nearby. And I think we have two pictures. Yeah, and, and this one, um, you know, when you first look at it, and if a person compares pictures, you might think of scarch or something like that. But if you see on these, a lot of the, the lesion activity or blighting is at the base of the leaf. And, and that really suggests to me some other stress. So I don't, I don't know if there was any application made to any of these that could have burnt tissues where something collected at the base, um, or if that branch has some injury that we're seeing. But um, in any case, I don't think this is a disease. Uh, and I do think it's related to some sort of an environmental stress or an application of something that may have concentrated in some of those areas on the leaf somehow. All right, thank you. So this uh, viewer says, this is the way the leaves of their huge sycamore in Aurora looked last mm -hmm. spring. What is it? Will it come back this season? It'll definitely come back. So this is anthracnose on sycamore and, and we'll see anthracnose on a lot of different trees. Uh, a lot of times the leaf margins are just started like some of these and they'll be blighted in different areas. So I wouldn't treat it. Uh, and, and Kim, I wanted to comment on one thing. We talked about the mushroom groups and um, I just did a quick look so I got it right. So the Nebraska Mycological Society is where our viewers could look. And actually one of our uh, emeritus faculty in the Department of Plant Pathology is very active in that group. And uh, they have a, a chapter in Nebraska that's very active. So I encourage people to reach out to that. They do a lot of really interesting things and a lot of just general knowledge about identification. Cool. So. All right, you have two more pictures, Lauren. This is uh, Waterloo, Nebraska. Silver dollar eucalyptus seedlings, and they're indoors. What to do here? Okay, and, and they're indoors now. That, the, the question, I, I looked at this and, and talked to some people about it and, and really couldn't identify anything that we would recognize. And, and it made me question if it wasn't some sort of parasitic insect or something the way the galls look. But where it's inside, I doubt that's the case, right? So um, a, the only thing that could be possible that could form those distorted growths could be something like crown gall. So if they're pruning a lot, maybe, and it's indoors and, and they're doing that, it is possible. Uh, so I would recommend cleaning your pruners, uh, trying to cut that material out and see if it recovers. All right, thanks. Jeff, uh, three pictures on this one. This is a Carney viewer with a 15-year-old red bud adjacent to the deck. And north side, there's some bare wood discoloration. We can see it, I think, in the other two pictures, what's going on, no holes. Uh, is this a bark situation, a woodpecker, or is this kind of what redbuds do out there in Kearney? Well, I mean, first of all, great job in keeping a redbud going for 15 years in Kearney. So, and I'm <laughs> sure there's other people out there that have them, but that's great, that's kind mm -hmm. of unusual. Um, you know, uh, redbuds will shed some bark and they can have that kind of activity where they'll lose some big pieces of bark. Um, I didn't see any particular holes or damage in the tree. Maybe lower on the stem, it looked like there might have been some uh, area that had been wounded but was, was um, callous tissue was filling back in. So I think we're fine there. So I think it's just make sure that, again, this will probably need supplemental watering and keep an eye on it. But it's a small enough tree, I don't worry about it hurting anybody if something, if it would fail, so. All right, and two more pictures, Jeff. This is a large maple, autumn blaze. Uh, noticed an area of loose bark at the base. Is this a concern? Now it looks worse. Should they treat it? And really to me, it, 
I could, as I zoomed in, I could see that it looked like we were getting some callus material forming there. So I think there might have been a wound at one point. Something happened, maybe a little <clears throat> sun scald, mm -hmm. and uh, and it looks like it's healing itself. The tree needs pruning, though, so I think I would call your arborist back and back and see if we could have to at least out do a little pruning to it. So all right, excellent. Well, you know, this time of year, our garden centers are booming with business. It's fun to roam around the aisles, see if there's anything that piques your interest. We took our cameras to a local garden center. We'd like to share with you what we found. We know gardeners are always excited for all of those new plants in the spring. We are too, but let's take a minute and let's talk about some of the other essentials to the landscape world that either you might not have or you didn't even know you needed. I absolutely love tools. This line of tools is heavy, hefty. It's a wooden handle. They are steel heads. With a little bit of tender loving care, they are going to last you for a very, very long time. Although I must admit, I don't take very good care of my tools. I also have a tendency to go through garden hoses like nobody's business. So look at this. This is just about like putting caution tape in your landscape. There is no way you can run over it with the lawnmower without absolutely intentionally deciding you want to destroy that hose. The houseplant craze, of course, is not going away. And just like human beings, houseplants need the right food or the right something to make them grow and be wonderful and happy and healthy. A lot of people are very interested in organic products, especially on plants you use in your house. There is maybe a newer line or a lot more that are very, very specific to particular plants, whether it's violets, orchids, cacti, potting mixes, the kinds of things that will also help with any of those insects like the fungus gnats that tend to get into pretty much every single houseplant you can imagine. So if you do love houseplants, take a look at some of these newer options that might make it a little easier for you to be comfortable taking care of your houseplants. Of course, if you are really gardening and wanting to grow food to eat in your own landscape instead of working with those houseplants, you are probably equally concerned about making sure that your produce is safe for you and your family, for those pollinators, and for the earth. Again, the line of interesting products that is available is growing every single year, and that pun was of course intended. So we have things like compost tea for small spaces. We have some new sort of biofungicides that are available that are really going to help with tomatoes. And according to our records, those tomatoes are absolutely the plant that we get the most questions about when it comes to garden produce. So again, take a look at labels, take a look at everything that you see Pick out what works for you for your own home landscape, for your garden, for your interior. Enjoy those new products. Get out there and get growing those plants. We hope you enjoy those trips to the garden center because we certainly do. Maybe come up with a project plan for your home this season. Make that trip to the store fun and practical. It's like going to the hardware store. Speaking of fun, our Backyard Farmer YouTube channel has hundreds of fantastic video features and past programs. Just about every topic is covered from turf to disease, insect pests, and growing plants the right way. 
Take a few minutes to check out our YouTube channel after the show and do be sure to subscribe so you'll get our new weekly content as soon as it's available. All right, we have one round of questions left. Your first two pictures, Kyle, come to us from Garland, Nebraska. They found this little guy hanging on the garage door on Easter Sunday. He's a bit bigger than a quarter, maybe closer to a 50 cent piece. Seems early in the year to see a bug this big. Wondering what it is and is it a good guy or a bad guy? I think it's a good guy. Um, it's, it's a grasshopper nymph. Um, it's, it's probably one of the, the banded wing grasshoppers um, that they do um, like a, a coral wing grasshopper. So the, the adults have like these really beautifully colored underwings. Um, and they do overwinter as mature nymphs, so they, they can be quite large this time of year. Um, they're not really a pest or anything, and, and it's a, a beautiful grasshopper. All right, uh, one picture on this next one. This is a viewer who has sent us several. Uh, she does travel. She could have taken these pictures someplace else, but this is one of them. What is this one? It, it looks like a yellow sack spider, um, so pretty common spider we see indoors. How big are those? She didn't put a little Fairly thing. small. They're, they're not very big. Yeah, so tiny little legs yeah. and things. Cool. All right, I don't like spiders, but that's a cute one. All right, Rock, three pictures on this one. Uh, dandelion, the question, dandelions are blooming already in warm places, and they, they say this turf, in quotes, is almost completely covered with them, even the areas that were covered deeply with mulch last year. Can they be killed now and reseed? Do we have to wait until fall? Is there sort of a minimally chemical way to do this, or is this just impossible? Well, so, I mean, in one of those pictures, it looked like a lot of tree roots. So I'm going to say they've got turf too close to the tree, right? So that that's probably would lend itself to any of the shade-tolerant plants or just mulch, right? So they, they said even in the mulch. Um, this is a very thin turf stand. It certainly could be renovated. I'm gonna suggest, though, that they live the summer out with it. Let those dandelions, right now they're getting ready, you know, they're already, they've already flowered, and this is the worst time to try to control them with even, even an aggressive herbicide. So why don't we just leave them be, that yellow flower produces, you know, there's some pollen that's already been produced, they've been forged on, et cetera, for, for some pollinators. It's not great feed, but at least it does provide some forage quality to that. And then um, consider spraying them in the fall, which is a much better time to control, and then use some of the minimally invasive products that that are organic in nature. There's a Fiesta, which is a uh, iron-based product that'll do a pretty good job knocking them back and then overseed aggressively into that area with um, an appropriate Kentucky bluegrass or turf type tall fescue. All right. They thanks. have a lot of them. They can make dandelion wine, Rock. Well, they certainly could and don't, certainly don't want any herbicides on your dandelion wine. There you go. <laughs> oh, a little flavor bud on there, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. You have one more picture, Rock. This comes to us from Columbus, section of lawn between uh, the curb and the sidewalk that does not get enough water and has gone to weeds. We see this a lot. Do you ever recommend a turf for this kind? Because of, I know on campus there's been some success. Certainly, um, you know, buffalo grass would do well in there because it's such a heat island. You know, you're going to have to get water on it. You're going to probably have to amend it because it tends to be the leftovers and you get a lot of residual salt depending upon how, if they salt the streets or not, depending upon where you live. If it's in Lincoln, that's probably going to be fine. But you see a lot of burn there and if you can't get water to it during establishment, then maybe you do something hardscape. Um, along those lines or some, something there. And then certainly tall fescue would do well in there, but it, it just is so seasonal in growth and it can so aggressively grow 
Um, and then, so you're going to have to put the mower out there. So I, I would say you go for buffalo grass, which you'd maybe have to mow once a month, and, and minimal fertilizer, and a minimal water once you get established. All right, thanks, Rock. Um, Lauren, this it appeared, this thing, this is one picture, about two years ago, it continues to get bigger every single year. What is it, and how do they get rid of it? And this is in Seward. Yeah, and I, I think in this case, uh, what we're looking at, where it's consistent and we've got some green, as the turf greens, you're probably going to see it brighter uh, in the center, maybe on the edge, and we're looking at fairy ring. Mm -hmm. oh. um, there, there is some research that suggests if you would aerate and mix the rings up, if you have different ones that they can, they're not compatible. Mm. So they could try that. Mm. They wanted something to do. <laughs> it's kind of cool, always. Yeah. All right. You have one more, uh, and this came to us again from a viewer who had this happen last year. Hosta collection in the Arboretum had several plants that looked like this in early June. Is this a disease? And this comes to us from Pierce. Yeah, and I, I do not think this is a disease, Kim. Uh, looking at this, you know, it really doesn't match many of our leaf spots or viral infections. Um, there's some healthy leaves that look a little deeper. I, I question some sort of injury or even uh, water spot burn, something, but I, I don't think it's a disease. All right, that will make them happy. Yeah, um, enjoy them. Jeff, this is uh, the Columbus viewer again. It's mm -hmm. the same viewer that Rock answered about turf, but they really are kind of wondering, would you recommend plants beyond turf? And mm -hmm. if so, what kind of plants in this? So if they don't like Rock's question or answer, then well, I give them a different option. I didn't know that I was going to ask him that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but there are options. It's either buffalo yeah. grass or it's something else. And well, have I some think plants he here. To me, I think, too, you know, if that's an area that people are walking, if they're par parking their car and walking across, so compaction might also be kind of an issue there. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with Rock that whatever you put in there, and there's a lot of uh, perennial flowering native plants that would do well in a place mm -hmm. like that, it's still going to need water. Right. So you have to you have to water it. You know, from a, I know sales have Carl Forster, maybe some drop seed in the background. So they have some grasses. It, one that I would suggest would be Blue Grandma. Mm -hmm. It's a little taller. Um, we use it in a mix of buffalo grass to kind of form kind of a, a turf area. Uh, mm -hmm. Then again, mow it minimally. And that has worked well for us. But again, you're going to have to Take you have care. to water it, yeah. All right, you have two questions quickly on this one. Uh, this is a viewer who started uh, seedlings, Shasta daisies and Rudbeckia, mm -hmm. 20 wildflower varieties, They and this is Hastings. What should they do with these from this point forward? Well, I think they're off to a good start. Um, I think with the uh, ones in the little peat pots, the daisies and Rudbeckia, um, they may need to thin some of those as they go forward. Um, and then I would slowly on warmer days, get them outside, kind of get them used to the outside. And as they get big enough, then you can go ahead and start planting those. The prairie seeds are, are probably overplanted in those little pots. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I think I would, instead of thinning them, maybe I would just go ahead and kind of get them hardened off. And when conditions are better, maybe in a month, uh, I'd go ahead and just plant those.